Well, can you believe that we are at the beginning of a year that's entitled 2020? I mean, it almost sounds too futuristic or something to even think is, is real. Uh, in fact, I was, uh, I was talking to uh, some friends who happened to be a little bit older or maybe a lot bit older than I recently. And uh, they were talking about how they remembered that when they were in school, one of the books they had to read was that novel by George Orwell about the future, the distant future called 1984, yeah. And now 1984 is in the distant rear view, and uh, we are in the year 2020. Um, it's a time of year every year where people tend to think about the bigger picture, um, think about life, um, maybe set some goals or some resolutions or to make some plans. And the first thing I'd like to say about that is I think that's a really good habit to be in. Um, to think about the bigger picture, to not be sort of pulled along by the grind of the urgent, but instead to take some time to think about the important. And maybe some of you have already put together some plans or uh, some, some goals, some resolutions for the new year. Um, one of the things I've noticed now over the time of my adulthood is how so often the goals that I have for the coming year tend to be almost identical or slightly changed, but pretty much the same as the year before, and how most people's resolutions kind of sound the same. Um, you know, this is the year I'm going to get back to the gym and lose some weight and get healthy, and this is the year that I'm going to spend less and save more, and this is the year that I'm going to break that bad habit and finally go on, you know, to something better with my life. And all of those plans, all of those goals are good ones. It's just interesting to me that they're always the same, it seems. And I think there might be a couple reasons for that. One is that we don't do a very good job of accomplishing our goals. So maybe you've had the same resolution for a number of years, I think maybe the other thing is that we tend to always look at things through the same lens. So our brain and our heart tends to always go back to the same things. Um, in the car the other day, Carrie and I were talking about plans for the year. And again, a really good process. But honestly, like when it comes to something that I was just truly excited about and was different, I, I couldn't articulate what that would be very well. Little things, but not big things. And that's somewhat at the heart of the series that we're in and that we're starting today. Let me tell you what we're going to be doing for the next five weeks. This is not going to be that study for five weeks of the, the 10 steps and the five keys to accomplishing your goals finally. That's not this series. In many ways, this study is going to be way more foundational than that. In fact, it's the series with which after it, you set your goals. After it you set your resolutions. And if you already have some, because, you know, that's just the way you roll, maybe this is the series after which you change some or you tweak some. Because the truth of the matter is, it's really hard to set good goals until you're able to see clearly. It's hard to know where you want to go until you 
are able to see in a clear way. And that really leads to our first fill-in for this entire series. It's kind of, you know, at the heart of what we're going to be doing, that the more clearly you see, the better your vision will be. Does that make sense? The more clearly you're able to see something, the better your purposes will be, your plans will be, your goals will be. If you're not seeing clearly, then your goals and your resolutions and your plans may not be what they should be. One of the questions that I've often heard when I've either listened to leadership podcasts or read leadership books is a really good question. And I've thought about it a little bit for my own life. Um, But here's the question that they'll ask successful leaders. They'll ask, if there is one bit of advice that you could go back in time and tell your 20-year-old self, what would it be? Now, if you're here today and you're 21, this question doesn't have maybe as quite as much of an oomph, right? But for those of you who are 35 and 40 and 50 and onwards and upwards, this is a really good question to consider because what it does, it not only directs you as to what's important, but it also allows you to better parent your children or guide and lead your grandchildren. How would you answer that question? Let me tell you a couple of people said. Bill Gates was asked this question, and he reminisced about when he was younger, he had a skewed view of intelligence. He thought that people had to have a certain IQ in order to be successful. And what happened throughout his life is he ended up minimizing the value people had, whether it be just in life or to his organization, because success is not just about how smart you are. And so that's what he would tell himself. Don't be so judgmental of people. Um, Oprah, you know, that spiritual sage from years gone by, um, I said that sarcastically, of course, but she said she would tell her 20-year-old self to relax. Don't worry so much. Don't be so afraid. Um, Billy Graham, uh, kind of probably the most well-known American pastor for 100 years (laughs) now in heaven, He said, and get this, one of the best speakers that there's ever been said he would study more and speak less. That's what he would tell his 20-year-old self. The heart of this question gets to something that is so key for living a healthy life. It's this, that the, the best teacher of life is something called experience. That experience is so important as we get through and and go through life. The problem is, by the time you have experience, you don't have much life left oftentimes. But experience can come in a couple different ways. One is the experiences that we have, and that will always be the case, because we always learn the best when we go through something. But you can also learn from other people's experiences. That's why 20-somethings or younger, and even older than that too, one of the best things you can do is to listen to your grandparents and ask them questions and ask them what life was like and what they learned and to listen to people who are older than you. You will learn so, so much by listening. So here's my encouragement to you because it has to do with this series. No matter what age you are, 
be wise enough to listen. You might think some of the things that we're talking about, especially maybe today's, which we'll get into in a moment, you're too young for that to matter. Guess what? You will grow more by learning from someone else's experience in life than having to go through it on your own. So whether you're young or whether you're old, be wise enough to listen to godly people who've experienced things and in this series too, be wise enough to listen to God, right? Who's even wiser than wise people. So this week, we're going to be listening to um, a wise man. Um, His name is Moses. A couple weeks ago, we ended our God is Here series with looking at a little bit of uh, Moses' life, and today we're going to look at it as well. And I need to just totally summarize his life really quickly here. And what we see when we look at Moses' life is that he lived to 120 and that his life could really be seen in three distinct 40-year time frames. The first 40 years... He was a Jew, uh, an Israelite, a Hebrew, who lived in Egypt, but through circumstances that take too long to explain for this message, he ended up being raised by the daughter of the Pharaoh. So he lived his first 40 years of life living in the best places, eating the best food, getting the best education, having the best stuff this life had to offer. Now, when he was about 40, what happened is he saw an Egyptian uh, mistreating, severely mistreating a Hebrew or an Israelite servant or slave, and he ended up, some of you know this, killing that Egyptian. Well, at that point, when Pharaoh found out, um, he had to flee for his life. And so that second 40 years of his life, he spent in relative obscurity in a town that no one knew about, and he spent his life shepherding sheep and essentially starting a family and having a lot of time to think. And then God called him to do which, that which most of us who know Moses' story think about the most, to lead very dynamically. And this is that time frame when he's about 80, where the 10 plagues happened and where Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and by God's power is able to split open the Red Sea. All of that stuff happened in probably about a year or less, okay? And then his last 40 years after that was spent wandering leading God's people wandering in the wilderness. And as I thought about people who had an opportunity in their life to see the highs and the lows, the peaks and the valleys of life, all of it, there isn't anyone I could think of that would have experienced more of those differences than Moses. He experienced almost all of it, from opulence to obscurity to dynamic leadership to wandering. And when he was at the end of his life, he wrote a poem, it's in the Psalms, about what he learned as he looked back on his life. It's almost as if someone asked Moses, Moses, if you had a bit of advice to share with your 20-year-old self, what would it be? And here's what Moses said. Lord, You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. 
It's interesting. As long as Moses was on this life, guess who, or in this life, on this earth, guess who was also there? God was. And that's not just the case for Moses. That's the case for all generations. It's true for us. God was here before you were born. He will be here after we die. For every single person, God is the dwelling place for every year that we have life on this earth. Now, of course, depending on whether a person has faith or not, that changes a little bit. But God is always here. And then it continues, before the mountains were born and you brought forth the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You know, we so often think about our lives, and and rightly so, in terms of, and what we're going to do at the new year, in terms of birth to death. And what Moses sees as he looks back on his life is that there is a much bigger picture. And that bigger picture that we should view our lives in the midst of is everlasting to everlasting. There's a bigger story to be told, a bigger story that is being told than your story or than my story. And to be able to better understand the context of our lives, we have to understand the bigger story. Um, It's like Star Wars. Raise your hand if you've seen uh, the new Skywalker. Was it The Rise of Skywalker? All right, a few of you. Okay, some of you don't raise hands in church, so you're not going to raise your hand. But um, Now, let me ask this second question. How many of you saw that movie, but it was the first Star Wars movie that you saw, that you ever saw? I'm not thinking too many. Is there anybody? Okay. Didn't think there probably would be. So I want you to think about this. If that was the first movie you saw in the Star Wars series, how much of it would you have lost out on? How much of it, especially that one, would you not have gotten or understood unless you were aware of the entire context of the series? Just like a movie, our lives are the same way. You cannot begin to clearly see your life unless you understand the fuller context. And, our second fill-in, understanding context will lead to better understanding purpose. That there's a bigger story than your story. That there's a bigger plan than my plans. That there are bigger goals from everlasting to everlasting, than my goals for this life, and that there's a bigger life than from birth to death. Verse 3. Lord, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. The reality of earthly death is something that is true and looming, for every single one of us unless Jesus returns first. And I sure hope and so hope that he does. But that someday our bodies will return to dust and Moses is recognizing that and recognizing the reality of it. Verse four, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Moses, again, is looking back on his life and thinking about (laughs) the seemingly brevity of his life. Remember, he lived to 120. 
versus everlasting to everlasting. And he says, you know what? I bet like for you, Lord, to compare those two things, it's like a thousand years to me would seem like from everlasting to everlasting, like just a day for you. Or maybe even like a watch in the night. Um, In biblical times, there was three watches during the night and each one was three hours. So using this analogy, a thousand years, Moses is saying, is like three hours to you, which most people averagely live somewhere between 70 to 80 years on average. If you use this math, how much would 70 years be? Well, I did the math for you. So if 1,000 years equals three hours, 70 years equals 15 minutes. You may ever hear people talk about their 15 minutes of fame. What God is saying? Your entire life is like 15 minutes. It's not long. It doesn't last a long time. Understanding context leads to understanding purpose. Verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet even the best years are filled with some trouble and sorrow. And they quickly pass away and we fly away. Aren't you so glad you came to North Cross this morning? I mean, so encouraging for the new year. I mean, if you have a calendar that you want some inspirational sayings on it, like there's so much from these verses to put on there because it's so encouraging. Here's the thing. Moses' point here is not to depress you. And his point is not to lead you to the fact that your lives are insignificant or unimportant. His main point is this, that he wants you to understand that your earthly lives from birth to death, our earthly lives are brief. It's a short amount of time. But understand Brief does not equal unimportant. Brief does not mean insignificant. Some of the people who have lived the shortest amount of time have had some of the greatest impacts in the world, right? Brief does not mean insignificant. But as we live our days, Moses, God, wants us to recognize that we can better live our days with more purpose when we recognize that we're part of a bigger story, that we have a bigger God, and that our plans are best made when we think of things not in terms of birth to death, but in terms of everlasting to everlasting, and that we won't be here forever but God will be. And how do we use our little bit of time to make a difference that lasts forever? Number three, I want to encourage you. Your life is a significant part of God's story. But notice I said God's story. And those who have lived their entire lives for their own story and for their own propping up recognize that everything we build will someday be destroyed. Everything we gather will someday be given away. Everything we have, earthly speaking, someday we won't. So whose story 
are we going to live for? And in which direction or way are we going to find the most significance? Verse 11. If only we knew, because he's going to talk about something that doesn't come intuitively. If only we knew, because he's going to share us with something that you have to be taught. If only we knew or understood the power of your anger, that's weird, because your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. (laughs) All right, let me explain that. God's righteous anger over sin is big. We can't fully understand it. As big and as un understand like not being able to understand it that that is, so also is we can't really wrap our minds around how much fear and worship fear in the sense of respect and worship and glory God is due. Sometimes in that quiet reflection that we've talked about before, we just need to stop ourselves and think, how big is God? And how little we are. You think about throughout the Bible, um, whenever God's glory showed up, people got nervous and scared. Not because God is mean, but because he is powerful. You think of the Ark of the Covenant. It was that golden box um, in the Old Testament that in a very unique way represented God's presence. Does anyone remember when anyone touched that box, what happened? They died. Because God is big. He is holy. And as we think about our lives, it can sometimes feel a little obtrusive or intrusive that someone would be telling me what to think about with my life. It's my life. Uh, we, it's not our lives. We live as the children of a really, really big God with big plans. Next verse. So, here's our application. Teach us then to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What does that mean, to number our days? You know, I can bet that almost all of you have done this at one time or another. Um, If you were a bride at one point, you had a period of engagement where you spend getting ready for the wedding. And pretty much during that entire time, you kind of know how many days there are until your wedding. And people ask you, how much time left do you got? And how much do you got to get done? And even though you're not doing everything during your engagement period, every second of the day about the wedding, you're, you're kind of, it's always kind of in the back of your mind. You know when it's coming and what needs to get done and what needs to happen. We might do this with vacation. Sometimes that's a kind of a cool numbering of our days because we kind of need to get away and we're looking forward to some warmth in the middle of winter. And so we live our, our days, we do the things we need to do, but we're making sure that we get done the things we need to get done so that we're ready to go on vacation because we're looking forward to it. Kids, you do this for Christmas. We might do this um, for a graduation or for Christmas break or whatever it might be. Here's what Moses is saying. Our lives are brief. We find significance when we remember that we're part 
of a bigger story because whatever it is we try to do for ourselves and for our own story here on this earth, one generation goes by and the best that I accomplish gets forgotten. So, number four, live each day with the end in mind. Now, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you have to stop going hunting during hunting season, although you do need to get your wife's approval on that and all of that stuff. But you can continue to chase hobbies that you enjoy doing, and you can have fun, and you can strive for excellence at work. Use the gifts that God has given you to the utmost. Keep doing that. Not everyone has to become pastors and teachers to live each day with the end in mind. We need more, but that's not what Moses is saying. He's saying as we make our plans, have we considered the bigger story of God and how I use my time and my resources, how do they connect with something that's bigger than me? Does anyone recognize what this number represents? That's the number of minutes in every day. And while we have different numbers in our bank accounts and we have different gifts that are represented in this room, we all are the same because we all have that many minutes in the day that God has given us and Actually, if you follow doctor's orders and sleep for eight hours, you can minus that by 480 minutes, okay? It's less than that, actually. And what I know about you, and it depends on the season, but for most of you, there are more opportunities in front of you than there are minutes in the day. There are more things that you'd like to pursue than there are minutes in your day. There are more ways that you can use the days and minutes ahead than what you have. So, how are you going to use them? And the truth is, I don't know what Moses' direction for you today looks like exactly in your life. But here's what I do know. If we're thinking about plans for this year and for our lives, we need to think about it. We need to think about that this life is not about me and all that I can gather, but that there's a bigger story and a bigger picture. And so maybe this could be a clarifying question. Maybe you ask yourself this, how do I live my life knowing it has a point and I'm not it? <laughs> like I said, I don't know what this means for you, but I do know that I need to think about it. And so should you. Now, this psalm kind of ends, at least the portion we're looking at today, um, with sort of just bringing this all together and recentering our hearts. Verse 13, first of all, is this. Relent, Lord. Look on me with mercy, Lord. Have compassion on your servants. What Moses is saying is as he looks at his life and as he thinks about other ways that people view their lives, he's like, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I've lived too many of my days and too many of my years thinking only about my story and forgetting that I'm part of a trilogy <laughs> or bigger. But there's a bigger story that you're telling, and I haven't thought about that. I've thought about my own story, but maybe not enough about yours. So Lord, have compassion on your servants. And then verse 14, my favorite verse of the entire section, satisfy us in the morning. 
And I'm not sure how you would end this. Fill us up is another way that we might think about this. But, you know, what's going to bring satisfaction to your new year is a, a way that I'd like you to think about this. Satisfy us in the morning. And Moses answers it this way. Satisfy us in the morning with your love, with your unfailing, unconditional, always there love. Because when we're filled with that, when we recognize that you are a big God, we can't even begin to imagine or understand the fear that you're due, and yet you have unfailing love, we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. No matter what we're going through, no matter what challenges, every morning here on earth can be filled with joy because of unfailing love that was seen first and foremost on a Savior God who loved you enough in spite of how selfish and self-focused we can be to die for us so that, here's the thing, that your mornings don't end at death, but that when we fall asleep for the last time on this earth, like my my mother-in-law did a few days ago, that we wake up to a new morning forever and ever where the songs are the greatest and the gladness never ends. That's the story that we're a part of and the existence that we look forward to that is far greater than this life. And so, number five, be satisfied, ultimately. Be filled up in the new year with the hope of eternity and the unfailing love of God. I had uh, listened to a lecture um, by Billy Graham in prep for this message today, and it was a really good one. Um, And... One of the things he said that he was the most surprised about as he looked back on his life, and now most of you do know that he's passed away um, last year, I think. He was most surprised about the brevity of life and how quickly it went. And I think from what I understand and kind of what I've experienced, that seems to go quicker the older we get. And so here's my encouragement for you. As you think about this year, as we look to have 2020 vision, as we look to see clearly in the new year, don't wait to do those things which you know you should be doing. You see, now is the time. Now is the time to share the gospel with that person that you've always known that you should, but you've never had the guts to do it. Now is the time to reconcile with that family member who has kind of been wayward, but you haven't taken the time to have that tough conversation and maybe even to get rid of a little bit of our own personal arrogance so that there might be reconciliation. Now is the time to Carve out time to volunteer for a cause that is greater than you. Now is the time to use our financial resources to support a gospel ministry 
that can do something way greater than I could ever do, meaning each one of us, on our own. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And so may this year be one that we see clearly. And as we think about our plans and we think about our goals, may we not wait a day longer to work to be a part of God's amazing story that he wants you and has invited you to be a part of. I pray this was helpful as you think about your year and your life and come back next week as we talk more about our goals and seeing clearly in the new year. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for moving Moses to write in uh, the Psalms about his reflections on his life and what he learned through life experience. Lord, may we be wise enough to listen and not just that, but may we be moved by you and your unfailing love to put these things into practice in our lives that we might live each day enjoying life, yes, but living to be a part of something that's bigger than just ourselves. We pray all this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.